You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Again, good to be with you this morning. Last time I was here, there was no fans. So not only am I thankful to see you, I'm thankful to feel air this morning. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up there or Bible app. I guess you could do that too. When when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, um, one of the things he taught them was what we just sang, right? He, he, He taught them to pray, Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And as I mentioned earlier, so often when Jesus would show up and do something out of the ordinary for like a human being, he would do something supernatural and it was him bringing part of heaven to earth and then he would say, the kingdom of God is among you, right? He was demonstrating the the power of the kingdom. He spoke about the kingdom almost more than anything else throughout the gospels. Riz told me that uh, you guys are in the middle of a a series talking about the miracles of Jesus right now. And I don't know any other thing more than miracles that demonstrates kind of what the kingdom of God looks like when it's coming to earth because things just start shifting and they start working in a way that is unnatural for just like normal human stuff. It is a kingdom from outside coming in and invading our kingdom here. And I want to look at the book of Acts today because I want to talk about the kingdom a little bit. I want to talk about what, what is it? Why, why is it? Where is it? How does it show up? Who is a part of it? What's our role in that? And there's no better place to do that from the book of Acts. And so we're going to use the book of Acts because, you know, while the Gospels recorded what it looked like for the kingdom of God to come through the life of Jesus— The book of Acts is really what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come through the life of his people. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, I'm reading and preaching from the NIV this morning. And Luke, the author of Acts, is writing, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
This is God's word today for us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we stand here, sit here, we live in this, this space where the disciples also lived, where we are on earth and you have died and risen and ascended and have not yet physically returned, but you are here with us by your spirit and we want to see more of your kingdom come, not just then, but also right now. Lord, we, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand your thoughts on the subject of your kingdom, to understand your heart for us as it pertains to us in your kingdom and in this moment in our very lives. Thank you for each person here. I ask that you would bless each one of them, that even right now, God, that they would, they would have a sense of the comfort of your Holy Spirit as we look at your word. Ask that you would anoint me, that my words and my tone and all of it would be in sync with who you are and your desire and your heart and your thoughts for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Okay. So after his resurrection, Jesus, he, he appears to his disciple, right? And so, his disciples. And so for 40 days, he's talking with them. And what is he talking about? He's talking about, it says in our passage, about the kingdom of God. As we get started this morning, I want to just briefly answer three questions to kind of set the table for the kingdom. What is it, first of all? Where is it? And when is it? What is the kingdom of God? Simply put, the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. First of all, it's God's reign. He is the king. There is no kingdom without a king. This is not our thing. It is not our kingdom. It is God's reign over God's people, over God's place. And so that also means that if it's his reign, then we can't just like do the things that are of the kingdom, like live, live out kingdom culture and expect that the kingdom will show up without the king showing up. The kingdom shows up when the king shows up. And so it is God's reign through God's people, that's us, over God's place. Where is God's place? Where is the kingdom of God? I've heard a, a lot of descriptions about where the kingdom of God is, but my favorite one was from this dude named Bob Hoekstra who's now gone to be with the Lord, but he, he taught um, classes at the Bible college that I went to, and he said it so simply. He said, the kingdom of God is wherever King Jesus is reigning. Wherever Jesus has kingship, there is his kingdom. In Luke 17, Jesus was asked about the kingdom, and his answer was this. He said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, oh, there it is. Unlike earthly kingdoms where you're like, oh, it starts there and it ends there. He said, because the kingdom of God is among you, or another translation, within you. Why and how could it be among them and within them? Because Jesus was among them. Jesus was establishing his rule in people's lives. And so there was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever the king is reigning. And you might say, okay, Dom, that's, 
that's great, but I'm not, I'm not living in the, the days of Jesus where Jesus was reigning. I'm living right now. And so what about right now? Was the kingdom just back then? Or is the kingdom just coming in the future? Or is it also right now? When is the kingdom of God? Jesus did come back then. And Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will establish his kingdom physically on earth. And so everything physical is going to change. Everything on earth physically is going to change. All the people over 40 say amen. Amen. I'm telling you, man, when you get over 40, everything starts falling apart. But what about now? Isn't Jesus also here right now? I mentioned it when we were singing that song a minute ago. If he's reigning among his people in the, li- in the lives of his people right now, then isn't his kingdom now? So is it, was it back then? Is it in the future? Or is it right now? Yes. Yes, it is. It is already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. Which means that as believers, we have a theology both of suffering on earth and of healing on earth. We have a, a theology of pain and of glory. Because the kingdom of God is already, we pray for and believe that God still saves and he heals and he restores and he reconciles. God still performs miracles and he is actively working, manifesting his presence and his power. The kingdom of God is already. But because the kingdom of God is also not yet, that means that there will still be pain. There will still be suffering. Not everything that needs to be fixed will be fixed on earth. There will still be evil in this world. And it will be so until Jesus returns physically. But make no mistake, he is coming back physically He will return, and when he does, he will establish his kingdom on earth in the same way that it is in heaven, in full. And he will reign on earth just like he does in heaven. And it's on that day that every single wrong will be made right. Every single thing that is broken will be fixed, will be mended. Every heart, every body, every relationship All of it, every broken component of the earth will be whole finally. There will be no suffering. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. There won't even be any more dying or death. And that is the day that the disciples are wondering about in our passage when they say in verse 6, we'll read it again. They gathered around him and asked Jesus, are you at this time? Going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples are like, Jesus, listen, we've been following you for years now. And you talked about the kingdom of God pretty much more than anything for the last three years. And now you just rose from the dead and you've only got 40 days with us. And you're still talking about the kingdom of God. Surely you are bringing the kingdom of God someday, Lord. But is that day today? And you can almost hear the desperation in their voices, right? It's like, Lord, please, please, Jesus, bring your kingdom. 
Please bring your kingdom. We want it. We need it right now. And we get that. Many of us are like, gosh, Lord, I look at my life. I look at the brokenness in my world, my families. I'm telling you, as you get older, my body. Like, and we're like, Lord, please, can't you come now? Can't you come now and make all things right? Because many of us even here, we're, we're, we're suffering in some way. We're in some kind of difficulty. We're exhausted, some of us. We're tired of disease. We're tired of broken relationships. We're tired of people dying. We're, we're tired of being afraid about the future, stressed out about this or that. We long for the day when we will have undisturbed peace and joy in every fiber of our beings and on every part of the earth. We want Jesus to come, right? We want him to come and establish his kingdom in full, just like it is in heaven. And so did the disciples, it's a good question they're asking, Lord, are you going to bring your kingdom now? But per his usual, Jesus doesn't respond to the question as one might expect. Instead, here's how he answers the question about the kingdom in verses 7 and 8. It is not for you to know the times or dates. They're asking when, right? And he's like, dude, I'm not going to tell you when. It's not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Here's what you do need to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus rises from the dead. He's hanging out with his disciples. He's got 40 days to talk to them about some stuff. He talks to them about the kingdom of God. But he also talks to them about something else. The spirit of God. And we should assume that when he did so, that he was actually talking about them in relationship to one another because the two cannot actually be disconnected from each other. In fact, this is how the Old Testament prophets talked about the coming of the kingdom of God. It was in conjunction with the coming of God's spirit. Isaiah 44, for example, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about the, the time when Messiah, the king, will come and establish his kingdom. But check out how God talks about what he will do on that day. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, he says, I will pour out water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What will it look like for the king to come someday? and establish his kingdom on earth, it will look like the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of God's people. There is a connection between God bringing his spirit and, I'm sorry, God bringing his kingdom and God pouring out his spirit. As theologian John Stott notes, the idea of the Old Testament prophets was that the spirit of God would make the rule of God a living and present reality to his people. Lord, the disciples asked, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says, here's my answer. You will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And I imagine the disciples maybe being like, did he say power? Because what do you need to run a kingdom other than power? Right? Guys, he just said power. That means the answer is yes. I know he didn't say yes, but like he's bringing his kingdom. He just said that we are going to get power. I mean, no doubt the disciples knew that the, the connection between God's kingdom coming and God's spirit coming was intertwined in the Old Testament with the Old Testament prophets. And so they're like, wait, wait, wait. He just said spirit. In the Old Testament, the kingdom and the spirit connected. He just said spirit's coming. He said power. Okay, 
yes, God's bringing his kingdom. God's bringing his kingdom right now. Of course he is. And they weren't necessarily wrong. Jesus was going to bring his kingdom. It was just going to look a, a little or a lot different than what the disciples expected. See, they, the disciples were living under really cruel tyranny in Rome there. The religious leaders hated them. Rome wanted to do anything to shut up the Christians, even to the point of killing many of them. They, they needed deeply. They felt the deep need for the kingdom to come. Jesus wanted to bring his kingdom. It was just going to look a lot different than what they expected. They, like we have a tendency to do, make assum made assumptions about what it might look like when God showed up. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I do this in my life when I'm like, I'm praying for God to, to come and meet a need or come and show up in a situation. I have an idea of what that might look like. I even look at scripture and I'm like, that, when that happens in my life, it will look like that. But how often does it, God answers our prayer and you're like, yeah, dude, that wasn't, that wasn't what I was talking about. And it ends up being better. You look back and you're like, oh, okay. Maybe sometimes it takes years, but you look back and you're like, whoa, God was doing this and I couldn't even understand it. Well, that's exactly what happened with his kingdom coming. It was going to show up, but different than the disciples expected. So I want to answer this question then, or these couple of questions. If it's going to show up different in our lives, the kingdom of God, maybe than what we expect, what exactly is it and what is it not? What exactly is the kingdom of God and what exactly is not the kingdom of God? I want to answer three questions there. The first one, the kingdom, or I want to answer it like this. First of all, the kingdom of God is not offered to some but to all. This is something the disciples couldn't have even imagined. They were assuming that when Jesus talked about his kingdom— that he was talking about it in a physical sense because all the kings of Israel had always established kingdoms in Israel, right? It was like a physical place. And all the kingdoms of the known earth at the time, it was like, that is the kingdom of such and such. And so certainly when God comes and sets up his kingdom, he's going to do it among us, his people, Israel. But it was bigger than that. Jesus was going to bring his kingdom to Israel, but it was so much more. It says it in verse 6, they said, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus responds like this in verse 8. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're probably like, cool, capital city of Israel, great. Judea, okay, cool, yeah, surrounding areas. Samaria, wait, hold on. And then to the ends of the earth. Jesus would bring his kingdom to Israel, but it wasn't just to Israel. It would go even to the ends of the earth, to every nation. And it's important to note that it would, it would be to the nations because this was a shift in the Old Testament. Whenever they talked about the nations, there was concern for the nations, but there was the assumption that the nations were going to come to Israel, like to where God's presence was. But in the New Testament, everything shifts, and instead of everyone coming to the center, the center now goes out to everyone else. And this is what Jesus is getting at here when he says in verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and look at this like growing language. In all of Judea, it's getting bigger, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of God was coming, but it was coming to all the world, and it was going to go out from God's people. 
And it's so important for us to note this because Jesus didn't just come for one group of people. I mean, look at the Gospels. Jesus came to Israel, yes, but he also came to Samaria. He came for the Samaritan. He also came for the Roman centurion. He came for the Gentile. He didn't just come for the wealthy. He came for the poor. He came for the elite and for the outcast. We need to hear this because we need to know that there is no part of the earth and no body in the earth that is too far outside of God's reach. And he's not like, okay, when I finish here, then I'll go there. Like, let me just prioritize these people. There's no priority. There's no prioritizing. And so if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I don't know, dude, like maybe those other people. No, that's not how it works. The kingdom of God is for you. And that, that person that you know, that relationship that you have, that, that person that you see over there and you don't understand, God is, the kingdom of God is for them as well, as much as it is for you, and it is for you as much as it is for them. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, God is establishing this covenant with, with Abraham. And he's like, Abraham, I'm going to bless your family and your descendants more than you can even imagine. But then he says, and you will be a blessing. The point is that everything that God gives in his kingdom is meant to be given away. Everything that God gives us in his kingdom is meant to be given away. And God's kingdom is not just offered to some, but offered to all. And it is offered to all through his people. But through a unique kind of people. Because the second distinction that I want to make here about the kingdom is this. The kingdom of God does not advance through warriors, but through witnesses. The kingdom of God does not advance through warriors, but through witnesses. Jesus wasn't asking the disciples to go out and be brave. He wasn't asking them to go out and do anything. He was asking them to go be witnesses of something. A witness is somebody who's like, I saw that thing happen. And now I'm telling other people, right? Like a witness on, like an eyewitness in court. It's like, you're just telling what you saw. What he's asking them to do is verse 8. He says, you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you're going to go do. Now he says, and then you're going to be my witnesses. Contrary to what some of them may have thought, the invitation from Jesus wasn't like, let's go out and fight, but let's go out and testify. Let's go out and testify of what we have seen, namely what Jesus has done and said. They also assumed, the disciples also assumed that the origin of this kingdom certainly must be physical in nature like all of the other kingdoms on earth. And that where God would establish his kingdom would have to be a physical geographical place because how else could a kingdom be established? They were hoping and assuming, as many of us would have, that Jesus would establish it on earth like the warrior King David did. And that in this establishing of his kingdom on earth, that it would finally free them from all their physical oppression. Because that's how we feel, right? Like, we want that. We feel all the physical stuff. And so when we want God to show, we want him to address all of the physical stuff. And if he was going to give them power, then the assumption would be like, what other kind of power are you going to get? 
Other than physical power, this is the only kind of power that they would have thought about in conjunction with a kingdom because they assumed Jesus would establish his kingdom physically. James and John, remember they had asked Jesus, Jesus, hey, when you set up your kingdom, can we sit on your right and your left? Like there's going to be a throne, a physical throne, that we're going to, we want to sit by you. And so I imagine that when Jesus is like, I'm going to give you power, they were like, this is it, dude. Remember we asked. We, you, dude, I asked first, bro. Like, so we're gonna, you're going to sit right, left. We got this. He's about to do this. Certainly, this is happening now. The kingdom of God would and does affect the physical. But it would not originate in the physical, but in the spiritual. And it would not come through a place, but through a people. And not a warrior people, but a witnessing people. And this should actually be really freeing for us today, guys, because the effectiveness of your participation in bringing God's kingdom is not contingent on you being strong. It's contingent on you just testifying of what you have seen Jesus say or or do and heard him say in your own life and in scripture. What has he done? What have you seen him do? Observe it and testify it. Whatever Jesus has given you, you get to pass on. But this still requires power. It still requires some kind of like inner strength. Maybe it's not physical, but it's an inner strength. It's a different kind of strength. It's a different kind of power. And that brings us to our third distinction that we see, which is the kingdom of God is not established through natural, but supernatural power. Francis Schaeffer, who's known as one of the world's greatest theologians and writers, especially on the topic of Christian mission, was at this big, huge Christian conference one time. And he was asked once what he thought was the greatest obstacle for modern Christianity. What is the greatest obstacle for modern Christianity? And what was most surprising about his answer was what he did not say. He didn't say that the greatest obstacle was secularism or pagan religions or materialism or Christian consumerism. If he had been living now, he wouldn't have said social media. He didn't say politics or even compromise. He didn't say that it was a lack of resources and money in the church or even the shrinking boldness and presence of Christians in the public square. Francis Schaeffer, they asked him, what is the greatest obstacle for the modern church. This was his answer. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus, individually and corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of God's, of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. If we do not want to waste our lives, then we must understand the importance of having a humble, quiet heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. The greatest hindrance for the modern church is ministry in the flesh. In the Bible, the flesh talks about uh, or describes a person living outside of and apart from God's purpose and God's power. A person living outside of the purpose of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. That, Francis Schaeffer said, is the biggest problem 
in the modern church. Lord, the disciples asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, we need your kingdom. We need you to establish your kingdom here on earth. We're suffering right now, right here. We feel it, 2023, struggling in some way. The disciples felt it then. Jesus says, I am going to establish my kingdom, and it will affect the physical, but what I am doing is way bigger than the physical. I am establishing my kingdom in the spiritual and it requires spiritual power. Yes, the kingdom of God affects the physical. But everything that happens in the physical is actually a sample, a picture of what God is wanting to do in the spiritual. Because the physical is temporal. It's like, sweet, God heals your body. You may have some terrible disease right now and you've been praying for healing God heals you wonderful you can't be healed forever you're gonna die someday you're gonna get some other disease that's gonna kill you right like that's just how it is every physical healing on earth is always and can only be temporal but the spiritual healing that comes is the only thing that is eternal Only what happens on the soul level will last forever. Listen, Jesus loves healing bodies. But he didn't come just to save our bodies. He came to save our souls. He loves raising the dead. But he didn't come to raise our dead bodies. He came to make our dead spirits alive. He didn't come to free people from the tyranny of society. But from the tyranny of sin And Satan, will he sometimes heal our bodies and our minds? And will it affect our physical lives? Absolutely. I actually got to see Jesus do this yesterday in a really, like, beautiful way. Uh, My my son's here. He's turning 10 tomorrow. And so we brought him with us. And uh, it's been a dream for him and my wife to go scuba diving for their, you know, at some point in their lives. I was like, oh, we're going to Hawaii. Let's take Kingston with us. And, and he, he will take him scuba diving. And so they did the whole thing. It's crazy. I don't know if you've ever been scuba diving before. It's crazy. Like, they're there all day. They're training in the pool. They're underwater. I was watching because I don't do fish. I don't do. <laughs> Little guys, big guys, I don't do. So I was watching. And then uh, we go out. It's pretty funny, but no, I don't do. We go out on the boat, right? And uh, part of scuba diving is you, your body has to equalize, right? You're going down pressure. And I didn't know this. I thought, like, it's basically snorkeling. You just don't have to come up. You just stay at the top. Because I was like, no normal human can go down past a few feet. Your ears are going to pop. And so they're like, no, we're going down 40 feet. And I was like, is anybody else, like, tripping on this? going to go 40 feet? Like, my 10 year olds going to go 40 feet down in the ocean? This is psychotic. And so they teach you how to do the thing, right? Equalize, blah, 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 go down a little, blow the ears, go down a little, blow the ears. And so I'm standing on the boat, I'm watching, and they're going down the rope. And I can see the, like, massive black wetsuit, you know, under the surface a little bit. And they're not moving for, like, 10 minutes. And I was like, what's going on? And they come up, and they were like, hey, Kingston's ears couldn't, it wouldn't, like, equalize. And so he gets off the boat, obviously super discouraged. My wife goes down with the, the guide, and... Uh, 
he's had a problem. Kingston's ears get jacked. Like on planes, it'll take days for him to, for the pressure to release. We go up on the mountains, takes days. He's got like sinus stuff or whatever. And so I was like, Kingston, there's only one, there's only one who, who is in control of your body, dude. Like there's, I can't do anything for you. There's no trick. You did all the tricks. There's only one that could heal you. And so we just prayed. And I was like, Lord, come on. <laughs> like, dude, I'm in Hawaii with my kid. Please, Lord. And they were going to go on a second dive like an hour later. And so he goes in and gets down all the way to the bottom, 40 feet down, stayed down there for whatever, half an hour, did the whole thing. I, I saw the Lord, like there's nobody else that could have healed him. It was only the Lord. I saw this happen. God did this. God loves to heal. He loves it. He loved doing that. I know my father in heaven was like, this is going to be fun, dude. Look what I'm going to do for Kingston. This is so rad. Like I get to do this. God loves it. He loves it. He loves doing that. He loved healing my son. But I believe that Kingston being healed yesterday is just a little physical demonstration of what God actually wants to do in the spiritual. God loved healing Kingston's ears, but you know what he cares about more? Opening Kingston's spiritual ears to be able to hear the voice of God. That's eternal. When God heals somebody's ears and makes them be able to hear, I used to be tone deaf my entire life. My entire life. I got saved, I could all of a sudden hear pitch. And I started being able to sing. God loved doing that. What a gift God gave to me. But what he loved more was opening up my spiritual ears to be able to hear what he's saying in the spirit. Because that's eternal. My voice is going to be gone someday. But my hearing and listening to God, that is eternal. Whatever God does in the physical, he loves it. But it is always a demonstration of what he is wanting to do in the spiritual. Always, always, always. Because what happens in the spiritual is the only thing that will last forever. And so, if the priority of the kingdom of God is to transform people spiritually then it would make sense that the power we would need would be spiritual power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when I look at the problems in my life, unfortunately, I don't often pray, Lord, I need more of your spirit, but maybe we ought to. We need the kingdom to come as a church. We need the kingdom to come as a people. They needed the kingdom to come, and Jesus says, I want to answer that question you're asking explicitly, and here's how I'm going to do it. The kingdom's going to show up. But Jesus, my marriage is failing. I know I want to give you my spirit. But no, Lord, I'm living in this crazy society. It's, I know I'm going to give you my spirit. But Lord, I'm broken like my body. I know I want to give you my spirit. That is him answering the question explicitly. Jesus, we need more of your kingdom in our lives. He says, I know I'm giving you my spirit. When Jesus brings his kingdom, it doesn't come by the authority and the power of an earthly throne. It comes by the authority and the power of a spirit. We know what this looked like in the life of Jesus. But what does that look like in our lives? Well, Luke says, when I wrote the other book, he's talking about his gospel. He said, I wrote about what Jesus began to do. I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach because the gospels we're an incredible demonstration of Jesus doing all these miraculous things. But it's just a record of what he began to do. His continuation of that is in the book of Acts as he began, continued to do it through his people. King Jesus is still moving. He's still bringing his kingdom, but he's doing it now through the lives of his people. And you might say, hey, dude, I don't know about me, though, bro. Like, I'm just an average, normal Christian guy. I'm not, like, crazy. The disciples weren't crazy. 
They were just like normal people, just like fishermen, and they worked for the government, and just like normal whatever, just normal people. But when they were filled with the Spirit, they started living these extraordinary lives. And so I want to ask today, can you imagine what it might be like if the kingdom of God showed up in your sphere, like just on your street, at like your neighbor's house? Or in your relationships, and you're like with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or in your marriage, or in your, the lives of your children, at your workplace, or on your school campus. Like, what would that look like if the kingdom of God showed up? Because this is what we need, and it's what we want. What's beautiful is it's what Jesus wants, too. This is why he told us to pray for it. He said, ask for this. Ask for the kingdom of God to come now. It's what he wants, but the means by which he will bring his kingdom is through the lives of his people empowered by the Spirit. So what can we do? What can you do today to participate in that? You could do the same thing that he told the disciples to do in verses 4 and 5. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for what? For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. My kids watch these crazy videos on YouTube where they're just doing crazy things. And like sometimes they'll have this little advertisement at the front. It's like, don't try this at home. Jesus is saying, don't try this alone. All, I'm going to tell you, go do all this stuff. Don't even attempt it alone. You got to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's not saying go and do. He's saying, don't go do until you receive. And so what can we do? We can receive. How do you participate? You receive the power of the Spirit. I'll end with this. Uh, the disciples were 11 dudes and like three girls. Okay? Three centuries later, the church grew to over 30 million people. Half of the Roman Empire. People were being saved left and right. Relational reconciliation was happening. Physical healings were normal. People were being raised from the dead. In spite of crazy persecution, joy was just abounding in the church. Love ruled their lives. Peace ruled their hearts. It was the kingdom of God manifesting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was a continuation of everything that Jesus began to do and say in the Gospels. But how was Jesus doing it? He wasn't physically there. How was he doing it? He was doing it by the power of his spirit through the surrendered lives of his people. Through the surrendered lives of his people. And so I want to invite you today to just surrender. And just say, Lord, I, I need you and I want you in my life. I ask that you would come, that you would fill me. I don't want to work harder. I want to, like, receive better. I want to just, like, surrender better. Lord, would you come and do that in my life? Let's pray to that end right now. Lord, we thank you for the reality of your kingdom. Past, present, and future. And what a, a trip it is that you would want to uh, bring, establish, move through the lives of your people in establishing your kingdom. 
and continuing your kingdom. I know for most of us that probably really humbles us and excites us because it's like, wow, my life is bigger than just for me. God wants to work in and through me. And so we want to surrender to that end. We want to surrender to that goal. And so we want to do what you told the disciples to do. We want to receive more of you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being with us. But we just recognize right now, Lord, that we need the power of your spirit. So we ask that you would fill us afresh right now. And if, if, you, if you want to just again, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's the, you know, <laughs> your daily practice of just surrendering to the Lord, why don't you just put out your hands in front of you with your palms facing up. And in just a posture of receiving, just receive whatever he has for you. Lord, we say that you know best. You know what we need. You know how much we need. You know when we need. And so we, we just open our palms right now. And ask that you would fill us. Ask that you would give us more of yourself. We recognize that we, although education and experience and all that stuff is wonderful and you use it, that the core of what we need is we need more of you first. And all that other stuff just supplements. But we just recognize, Lord, that we need more of you in our lives. And so we pray for more of you. We're going to transition into a time of response right now through song. And I want to invite you to worship him as we sing. But I want to also invite you to take a physical posture of surrender before him. The carpets are up front here. The reason the carpets are here is so that you can physically respond to God. We see throughout scripture that People don't just respond in their hearts and with their mouths, but they respond with their bodies as well. And what I have found in my life is that often when I will choose to do something with my body, that my heart and my emotions will eventually catch up. Like, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I need to do that. I need to surrender. And so I get on my knees and it's like, oh wow, my mind starts to recognize things that um, it, needs to, it needs to know carpets are here. There's also communion available to the right and the left up here at the front for you to remember what Christ has done, to remember his body was broken, his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins so that you could be made whole spiritually forever. And the prayer team is also available in the back. These are people who love you. Even if they don't know you, they love you. They love Jesus. And they want to come with you and bring your needs before God. It is right and it's good to, to ask somebody, hey, I, here's what I got going on. Will you partner with me and pray for me in bringing this need to the Lord? This is a time to 
not get on our phones, mess around, not like leave, but to stay and respond to what God is doing in our life. And we just want to say, Lord, we need more of you.